0: And I think uh Jim and Philip are joining us by um, Starleaf. And we're expecting Milesia as well, are we? We are. Yeah, okay. Fair uh, members of the any other apologies? Have we any apologies from Jim Wells? Are we expecting Jim? Well, no, never heard from him. Okay. And it's not well, been
1: Paul was in the building.
0: I know Paul is in the building, I saw him earlier on, so I'm expecting him to come along as well. Uh, and obviously, I have not received any notice from any members who delegated authority to another member to committee to vote under temporary standing order 115. Nope. Uh, next item on the agenda declaration of interest. I wish to declare an interest on uh, agenda item 12.2, correspondence uh, from a constituent of mine. I will ask the uh, Deputy Chair to cover that particular piece uh, when he when he's here. Any other declarations of interest? Uh, bearing in mind that all members of the committee may wish to de- record a declaration of interest in respect to the briefing public service pensions, as all members are indeed in receipt of a pension and associated with the ro- role as MLAs, are we agreed to this? Okay. Agreed. agreed. Okay. Thank you. Moving on to the next item of business, chairperson, and this business. Um, I just like to uh, start by saying how much uh, I and I know every, every member in this committee abhors the violence against the. Uh, the young policewoman from the PSNI uh, in the Dungiven area. And we never want to see this kind of thing happening in Northern Ireland ever again. And the fact that this dastardly attack was being committed by, sort of, uh, by terrorists who were very intent on uh, taking life and potentially the life of her young daughter as well, I think is something that's reprehensible. And I think all of us on the committee would join on that issue as well. Great. 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 Uh, the second point is that it's Her Majesty's birthday today. And I appreciate it's in a period of mourning, but I think it would be appropriate if we, as a committee, sort of passed, said, uh, passed on our respects to Her Majesty on, on her birthday. Great. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, next item Chairperson uh, Chairperson's business, the ministerial statement. Uh, the minister, during his statement on Tuesday, suggested that the committee should recall land and property services to give oral and written evidence on recovery and repayment issues relating to COVID business support schemes. Is the committee content to include these issues in the scheduled LPS briefing on rates and move this to the twelfth of May? Or are we agreed? agreed? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, also, uh, when I met the minister informally, informed me that uh, they are running an innovation lab with social enterprise at some stage, details to be confirmed. And he has asked whether we would like to be represented by a member of our committee on that innovation lab. I think that would be appropriate because it gives us good indication of what the innovation lab has been doing, and also gives us a good uh, input into any future uses of the innovation labs. Are we agreed?
2: Who has asked? For, is, is, has the innovation lab been in abeyance during the COVID? Or?
0: No, I think they're scheduled. uh, We don't have have a lot of details on it at the moment, but uh, the minister was informally asked me where we'd be interested, and I said yes, we would be. Just so that you're aware of that. Uh, Also, uh, there was an informal meeting with the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee, as the chairperson and the deputy chairperson were unavailable. Um, Peter attended a a meeting with the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee on Thursday, 15th of April, 2021, on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Members are advised that other statutory committee chairpersons who attended raised practical issues associated with the Northern Ireland Protocol. There was also discussion of political views. The meeting may be recon- reconvened in early June following the an anticipated hearings on the Northern Ireland Protocol related court case. A note from the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee on the meeting has been shared with members. Are we content to note or Jim do you want to say something?
1: Chair, I wasn't content at the miserable turnout at that. I think there was two, maybe three chairs. Yeah. There wasn't a single Representatives from the unionist community there, uh, and in consequence, um, Mr. Hoare got a very one-sided view of the protocol. I, uh, I can assure I don't you, don't blame him for that. I blame the chairs yeah. who didn't bother to attend. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I rest assured that I, if I'd, I wasn't, if I had ava- any availability at all in my diary, I would have actually been at that meeting. But it wasn't possible. Are we agreed? agreed. To note. For- uh, draft minutes proceeding to the 14th of April. Draft minutes of the meeting are the 14th of April, page seven. Are we content with the minutes and are an accurate record of proceedings? say these have already agreed. 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 Great. Okay. There are no matters arising. Could I ask Assembly Broadcasting to add the witnesses to the spotlight? That's Alison Miller, Desi Laurie, Jim Quinn, and Newell O'Donnell.
1: O'Donnell.
0: Put them all up.
3: Just let me know when. Who we were missing? Desi, though, yeah. right? Is Alison leading on it? Yes, I think so. Okay. Yes. Okay, Alison. The,
0: the, thanks for the uh, The following witnesses from the Northern Ireland Committee of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions will provide an oral briefing on the views of trade unions on the proposed changes to public sector pensions and the associated and ante- anticipated legislative com- uh, consent motion. Uh, Alison, are you happy to go ahead? I know I'm still not seeing. Um, I've got Jim up. I think
3: we had Desi. We've just lost him. So we, we had Desi. Have, and are, you, are you happy, to, con-
0: are you, are you yeah. happy to continue? Alison. Alison, are you happy to continue?
4: Yes. Yeah, yeah, sorry, uh, Chair. Uh, and ju- just in relation to the, the point uh start just where I come in. Don't worry, you weren't breaching any confidences. Uh, that's sort of general knowledge uh, around the Department of Finance. Okay, uh, first of all, uh, thank you very much uh, to the um, Finance Committee uh, for inviting us along uh, to uh, discuss this issue with you. It's Obviously, it's very important to scheme members across all of the public sector uh, schemes. Um, so, in, in relation to it, uh, I just want to thank the Committee for having us here today. Uh, we don't have uh, a whole lot to say. Uh, it is covered in a very brief uh, overview, uh, which we sent to the committee, and I'm sure it's uh, in your packs. I think there's three issues uh, of which we would like to address uh, with the committee. One is in relation to resources, and as I'm sure uh, the committee would be aware, is that as part of the remedy uh, for the age discrimination between 2012 2012, and the uh, t- and twenty sorry, I'm there. Uh, twenty twelve and twenty twenty two. Is that that period of time? Is that um, needs to be rectified? This will require um, all of the schemes to have sufficient resources within the schemes to allow, as we understand it at this point in time, man- manual calculations to be made with people who uh, really understand uh, pensions. So um, I think certainly the situation maybe has improved slightly, but we would welcome uh, the intervention of, of the committee to ensure uh, moving forward over the next number of years that all uh, public sector schemes are fully resourced in order to deal with the outworkings uh, of the uh, deferred choice and underpin, which is what all of the unions under the CCWG and uh, collectively and, and separately uh, are agreed that that's the best way to uh, address the issue uh, of the age discrimination that that uh, appeared during that time. Uh, and I'm sure most of the committee are aware of that. So this means that it's at the point of retirement in which the discriminatory element uh, will be dealt with by way of giving uh, choices to uh, scheme members when they come up for retirement. So you would get. Uh, had you stayed in the Legacy Scheme, this would be your option. And um, had you moved to the New Scheme, this would be your option. And then people can have an options choice at that point in time. And I th- we think that's the best way uh, to handle uh, the issue. That leads me on to the issues around potential tax issues that arise out of the Deferred Choice uh, underpin. Um, and the issue is that, it while um in simple terms is that, and this doesn't just apply to high earners. This would apply to uh, people across uh, the public sectors in all schemes. Is that what might appear? Uh, when you retire, you will get you know if it's dead in this scheme, this would be the amount of lump sum and pension you would receive, and in the, um in the other uh, scheme, this is what the lump sum and pension you would receive. And most people being human beings will opt for the scheme that delivers them the the best lump sum and the best pension. However, um, we're all human beings. We all have our own uh, issues um, and tax issues. And we believe given the age discrimination um, was not caused by scheme members, that um, the government and whether that's the assembly, more likely to be the Westminster government, should pay for the age discrimination because we're not blaming uh, the assembly uh, or the finance committee of the day in relation to this issue because this was something that was implemented uh, at a uk level and therefore we believe that uh, when people come to retirement that they should be get free independent um, financial advice to ensure they make the best uh, decision and choice which suits them not just at the point of retirement but throughout uh, the rest of their, their lives and, uh, and as long as they live. So I think that's a really important issue because I'm sure that the committee would agree is that, you know, if, if government uh, makes a mistake, then it shouldn't be the scheme members who then have to pay for that. And what we want to ensure uh, over the lifetime of this going forward, that um, people are given proper tax advice so that they don't end up making uh, a further uh, decision that impacts on them financially. Uh, at this point in time, I'm going to hand over to uh, my colleague uh, Jim Quinn, who's going to address the issue of the LCM. Okay.
0: Jim. Thanks, thank you uh,
5: First of all, I'd like to thank the committee for taking the time. Um, it's important to our members, particularly people in the fabricators' union. Uh, we are the people who've been either rightly or wrongly, uh, blame for bringing this case across and uh, all the outcomes of what's happened uh, since it's uh, been resolved. Um, Our chief concern with the legislative consent motion is one of the legislation actually about pensions was devolved and was dealt with in the Assembly back in 2014-2012 and dealt with via primary legislation. We believe um, initially anyway that that should be examined and we should be going through the same process again. It allows for better scrutiny, it allows for more transparency, and it allows for non specific changes that may be required, and I say may be required because we're unaware of what the Westminster proposals are. They're not due out till we believe sometime around about May or June time. So until that happens, we're not going to know exactly what the proposals are. And if an LCM is used, then our question, a big question is because we're not legislators, if you an LCM to bring in the changes to remove discrimination, as the Minister points out, it needs to be done. Our question then is what if amendments are made to peculiarities about Northern Irish specific schemes or issues that aren't in uh, GB? How will that be done? Is it done by uh, another LCM from Westminster? Can local politicians through the Assembly anyway amend that? We're not sure. And uh, part of the reason the Minister gave was about delaying the removal of discrimination. Our favour would we don't get it right first time, there will be a longer delay if we find there's issues that have been left out or issues that need amended. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg what would cause the delay. So we understand you now at the minute the LCM is the way forward for the uh, Department of Finance and the Minister. And what we're asking for is that they have a, look, a closer look at that to see if it is the most appropriate way and the best way to amend the legislation to remove discrimination. So it may be some help from the Finance Committee or others who will be able to tell us what would happen if an LTN is enacted and we do find that there's a deficiency in it and that it doesn't address some of the NI specific issues. Can that be re-amended? Would it take a longer period of time? Uh, What happens if the uh, House is in session in Westminster and here? Will that cause further delays? Rather given giving any answers to that, we're probably asking more questions. But essentially, we don't believe at this moment in time because we haven't got enough information that the LCN would be the most appropriate way, either for transparency or for scrutiny, and more importantly, for getting the whole thing right, rather than trying to get it through quickly. That's really all we've got to say on that
0: matter at the moment. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much indeed. And thanks very much indeed for uh, for your statements. Look, a couple of questions here to just to ask through and. Um, Obviously, with the um, McLeod pensions reforms uh, and your suggestion that we should proceed through the Northern Ireland Assembly via primary legislation rather than the legislative consent motion, that's what I'm sort of um, taking from you, Jim. Are you arguing for primary legislation because it wants the Assembly to amend the Westminster legislation, or do you want us to run as, as a primary legislation, or what particularly are you trying to secure, and if you were, what amendments would you like us to try and secure?
5: Well, the whole problem is we're not aware of what the West Mister legislation is going to be, and uh, what the changes are from the LCM. And we do have differences in Northern Ireland, different schemes, and uh, we have cross-border bodies, which is what we don't have in, in, in GB. So there are potentially um, issues that may not be able to be addressed by the English, uh, sorry, the Westminster uh, LCM, although would saying that it could be just a simple way of getting the, the higher level uh, changes made and the local stuff could be dealt with we're not sure but also uh, because we have got evolution of pensions we do believe it should be in the hands of local politicians in case those sorts of issues need to be addressed and the people on the ground can't speak directly to yourselves like we are now and that would make for an easier more succinct more transparent and possibly and probably a more accurate and speedy resolution to the process so there's a number of reasons why we're doing that but probably mostly because we're in the dark about what the lcm will contain exactly
0: yeah. Okay. Um, the, uh, the Department of Finance has argued that if the Executive brought forward its own pensions reform bill, which deviated from the Westminster legislation, such an approach would leave the Executive liable to legal challenge from public, se- public sector pension members in Northern Ireland, whereas if the Executive simply replicates the Westminster legislation, prospective plaint- plaintiffs are more likely to challenge HM Treasury in the courts. Would you accept that argument?
5: There's a potential for that, but I, I don't accept that that would be a, a reason for going down that route. We're not suggesting that we want any special or different treatment, we're just suggesting that to make a full and proper assessment of what's going on, that we need, one, to see the legislation, and two, for our local politicians to see if it fits in with their view of what local pensions should look like, and I don't think that we're going to be jumping on some sort of um, train to try and take it back to court if we could go down that route, that's not our intention our intent is quite clear to get this right and get it right properly and I think that if you consider enacting uh, legislation which we don't know exactly what the impact would be if there are any known peculiarities that that's a, a reasonable position to take and of course if the LCN can go through and covers all the bases then I'm sure that um, that could be dealt with by the Assembly as well looking at it before they decide whether to take it through primary or following the English end or the Westminster LCM. So I think it's still time to do one or the other.
0: Okay, thanks for answering. Jim?
6: Um, first I got, once again, can I declare my chairmanship of the Northern Ireland Assembly Members Pension Scheme and membership of the trustees for 17 years? Um, I don't know if you've been following the evidence, the very clear evidence you've been receiving from the department on this issue. I think the committee has really gone into this in considerable depth. Um, are you aware that uh, I am sure you are aware that uh, Wales and Scotland have decided to go down the legislative consent route? And really they feel that there is absolutely no option of having a bespoke uh, legislation for their own particular jurisdiction. Uh, given that, and given the fact that the Treasury have made it very clear that if we were to step out of that route, that we, as a, a Northern Ireland block grant, would have to meet that extra expenditure. What is the merit in separate <coughs> legislation when really our hands are tied?
5: I think, Mr we're actually what we're, what we're asking for is not necessarily to, to blindly refuse to use an LCM. When this minister publishes the LCM, I think there will be some time am not completely available in the parliamentary process or procedure there may be time before that to assess whether an LCM is appropriate and the measures taken in the the GB LCM would suit um, Northern Ireland pensions. All we're saying is there may be Northern Ireland peculiarities and we did take a decision back uh, in 2012-2014 to proceed in some different ways to our GB colleagues on certain pension schemes and we just want to be sure that those particular peculiarities can be addressed through the LCM uh, if necessary. We're not suggesting that for the sake of it we just go through um a process here different than Northern Ireland. Um it may be that the LCM is the most appropriate route, but what we're saying about it, we haven't seen it, we don't know what's in it. And we would prefer that a the local assembly would scrutinise that, whether it's the LCN process itself first or whether it's by using primary legislation. I think uh, that remains to be seen. We have to, we have decided our said there that we want it through primary legislation. What if Presumably, if the LCM itself covered all the questions, further discussions could take place and that may be something that we can reflect on and uh, come back and uh, speak to the final um, Sorry, just
0: sorry. Sure, just one second, sure. um, Sort of part of the conversation you've mentioned a couple of times now about Northern Ireland's specific peculiarities or peculiarities of the Northern Ireland pension schemes. Could you outline what those peculiarities are? Because that would probably help us in sort of formulating our thoughts.
5: Well, I agree. I I comment on the fire brigade scheme, which we know we have different retirees to the rest of our colleagues in GB, that's one example. Now, I presume that's not going to be impacted upon by LCM, but I I couldn't be sure. I also understand that we have some um, peculiarities when we have um, cross-border bodies that people are employed by that may not have the same um, conditions or the same legislation issues that are required uh, in GB. So, all we're saying is that there are peculiarities or differences. I'm not aware of all of them, but it would be, it would be pertinent to have a look at that LCN to see if there are any differences that um, we need to, to reflect on and, and have a closer look at. Uh, so I couldn't really in the all to be frank, but there's two, for example.
0: Jim, sorry,
4: so, Scott, you, Scott, you're, you're person, me. could I, could I comment on this point?
0: Yeah, certainly.
4: yeah, I think the issue is uh, for the all of the trade unions and all of the scheme members at this point in time, it's like, you know, hold your nose and, you know, jump into something. And I think anybody uh, would accept and everybody should accept the fact until we see the Westminster legislation um, and the read-across through an LCM um, is that, you know, we just are nervous at this point in time that we would potentially just agree to an LCM uh, blindfolded when we haven't seen the legislation. So maybe a suggestion from the CCWG trade unions would be, whenever we see the Westminster legislation and what the LCM may look like, then either we would come back and address the committee, or if we have no issues and are content for it to go through an LCM, then that could be done by correspondence, if that you know helps the committee.
0: Yeah, because I think that we're we're like yourselves. We, we don't know what what's going to be in it. Yeah. And one of the questions we've asked, and sort of we sort of uh, out of committee, and I've asked uh, sort of uh, the clerk is, you know, what's the timelines? Because we mm-hmm. don't know what the timelines is. One of the things I'm going to be asking the committee after this is write to the department to get us an update on the timelines and when it's likely to be. Uh, yeah, and yeah again,
4: I mean, the, the, the latest chair. Sorry for cutting across you. The the latest information we have. Um, it, uh, you know in asking the questions ourselves of the department is that you know maybe late may but it could be june uh, so i think that demonstrates that there's no clear timeline at this point in time and then you know we're fearful of the summer recess then kicking in and then there'll be a very short time frame so for all those reasons you know we haven't made a final decision you know that we're we're absolutely wet at the primary legislation we don't want to um really determine primary legislation or an LCM without all of the full facts and I think, I think we're agreeable on that.
6: Yeah. Mr okay. Chair. Jim, sorry. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's very helpful that, uh, that reaction Alison I have to say can I just explain some of the technical issues at this end. The Speaker has ruled that no legislation can be tabled in the Assembly after June as far as getting it through during this mandate is concerned and indeed legislation tabled in June will be doing very well to get through uh, this Assembly before we, we, we dissolve for an election. Uh, so therefore um, if we don't go down the LCM route, the difficulty is the witching hour here, of course, is the thirty first of march twenty twenty two, when those will take, person, pre- I'm
4: sorry. I don't know whether other people can hear. hear. But Jim's cutting out quite a bit, and we're we'll only getting... Them- I have to say, no-one
6: has complained that they couldn't hear me in my entire political career. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might have complained the that
2: they... Quite the opposite. Yeah,
6: yes, they <laughs> <might have> complained <laughs> that they could hear me, but not that they couldn't.
0: Um, uh, Alison, can you... I can. If you're having problems with Jim, I can ask Jim to come and move a bit closer to me, because I can self-disinspect my spot and move on, Jim, if you want, want to. my colleagues can hear, OK? Unless
4: the problem's my end.
0: No, 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 Jim,
6: do you want to try again?
0: Uh, so, can anybody hear me? It, it's very Dalek. It's sort really of like a Dalek sort of. Um, no, that's end. Do you want to try the one at the end? Yeah. Jim, try the one at the end. Just If you just allow us one second just to allow our honourable member from uh, South Down to manoeuvre. This is where the permanent secretary normally sits. Yeah. Um, I wish I had
6: his salary. Can, can you hear me now?
0: Good. Yes. Right. yes. Now,
6: j- just to, to go back and say, as far as our own position is concerned, the Speaker has ruled that no legislation received after June can possibly get through. He won't accept it because it won't get through in time during this mandate. So our difficulty here is that the witching hour, as far as this legislation is concerned, is the 31st of March 2022, when all of those who are entitled to be upgraded to the final salary scheme will be upgraded to that date, and then everyone is going to go on to the same scheme as a result of the McLeod judgment. So the danger is, if we go down the primary legislation route, we won't be able to have it through in time for that crucial date. Secondly, could I just say is that we'll be watching the LCM very carefully, and if we spot anything of the concerns that you've raised, we also would be taking that up with the department. We're not going to blindly rubber stamp something. It's still up to this assembly as to whether or not we accept the LCM motion. So it's not, it's not a done deal in that sense. But it would be very difficult for us. To backtrack, given the fact that all the other legislations in Northern in UK are going in one way and one way only.
0: Alison.
4: Yeah. Uh, yes, and I think that's that's helpful. Is that um, that you've said? And, and we understand the issues and about the timing about this. And I think certainly there's concerns uh, on the committee side uh, and with ourselves. Is let's see the Westminster legislation. We're not fundamentally opposed to an LCM. But what we don't want to do is say today is that yes it's an lcm in case there's something when we see the westminster legislation we think it's imperative uh, that we bring to your attention and obviously to the department of finances attention um, so if we could I, th- I think leaving that space open that we can either correspond with you or come back to the committee my fear is is that the westminster legislation is going to come out potentially just before the summer recess and then where does that leave us all? I, mean, I think even on a UK level, uh, at Westminster, is that's leaving uh, everything very tight. So, you know, we're not wedded one way or the other. We just want to see it to ensure, as I'm sure the committee does, to ensure that there's not something in it that would disadvantage in any way any scheme member in the Northern Ireland schemes, I given this is.
6: I think we're relying upon you. If you do spot something to let us know, we have already been had an issue raised with police officers who are unhappy with what's happening and there may be others out there who are in a similar situation, but I know, you know you're sharp and you'll spot something, you'll let us know individually as, as a committee, uh, but you know, we're, we're, we're not trying to steamroll this through either because we had to discuss whether we went down this route or not, but the evidence we received from the department was overwhelming that we had to go down this route unless something dramatically changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jim.
1: Alicia, Thank you. I do have musical chairs for you. I didn't sanitise it.
0: Hello, Mr. Hello,
7: I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my questions have been answered. Something
0: okay. Something you've about the timing. Okay, thanks very much.
2: Too. Matthew? Thank you, Chair. Um, I, it's really just further to some of Jim's questions around... Um, the, um, and also the chairs are one of the anomalies that are Northern Ireland specific um, you mentioned that, you know, uh, you're, that you're not opposed to the principle of um, an LCM but that there are specific I suppose Alison perhaps could you give just a, an overview of what you think those specific issues are, and then what, are, the, what, are the, what are the ones that are top of your mind that you're concerned about
4: well i think certainly uh jim has addressed those certainly in relation to two schemes one is the cross border sh- uh body scheme yeah. and say different retirement ages in the um in the fire scheme that that isn't the same as the um the westminster uh, legislation so Maybe it would be better um because we don't have all of the schemes obviously between the four of us here today okay. representative and I think maybe the best way to, to address your your question, um Mr. O'Toole would be to to write uh on behalf of the CCWG, okay. yep. and we'd get that letter into you in the next week or two. That would be really helpful. But can I just I can
2: just confirm that the I mean much as I would like it your 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 you're not your hope is not that we amend primary legislation that we have the uh, primary legislation here amended to make it for example materially m- more generous much as a good social democrat i like to be able to do that but your that your ask is not that we are going to that we have our own primary legislation in order that we diverge in a in terms of much greater generosity is it what,
4: what, we're, what we're actually hoping and what we anticipate is that the northern that the this legislation should be very narrow legislation because yeah. it's not to address the whole public sector 2014 schemes mm. So therefore, issues that may be specific to specific schemes, like the FIRE scheme having a different retirement age, like the cross border body scheme being slightly different, is that we don't believe the Westminster legislation should touch any of those. It should just be on the actual remedy. And if that is the case, the remedy should be the same across the four nations and therefore we would be, I believe, we would be content at that point in time that an LCM could address that. Okay. If it stretches wider than that, then that's where our concern is. Do
2: you know if the if the minister is writing to, if 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 it's Department of Finance's preference that it's not that they just do an LCM, and is the minister aware of these specific concerns? And is he writing to, you know, Treasury or whomever to? To make sure that you know what you've described it doesn't happen
4: well certainly we have raised that um through the uh, negotiating machinery the ccwg with the management side uh, we've made that very clear certainly the information we're getting is that's the expectation of the senior staff in the department uh, that this would only be to address a very narrow focus on this but we're suspicious around the whole pension issue, and we just want to make sure okay. that it doesn't stray into areas that would be detrimental to any scheme member in Northern Ireland outside of the age discrimination element.
2: Okay, that's. What I should declare retrospectively I'm a UK civil service as well as my assembly pension. I'm a UK civil service pension I should
0: require. I should also. Uh, Declare retrospectively, I hold a pension from the Ministry of Defence. Both, both You'll be cleaning your sooner than me, Chair. Sure. Actually, it's not it's <laughs> not, not, not substantial there. enough. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry, Pat. Um, well, if
8: there's no one else coming in. I was going to ask just on the back of that, when you said that the four just come out from the four nations uh, should be, you're saying that that should be the same ruling for all. But I noticed the Department's indicated that a further evaluation of public sector pension. Is underway. How do you? Well, how does that sit with with your analysis there earlier, Alison? That was going to be across the four nations.
4: Yeah. Well, scheme valuations are, are a different matter, um, and that sort of mentioned in, in paragraph three of the short briefing note. Uh, at this point in time, our our position is uh, across all of the schemes is that. Um, if there's a cost to uh, correcting MacLeod and the age discrimination element, then that should not be picked up by um, by, by scheme members. Uh, so, in some of the schemes for 2016, is valuations had been done, and in certainly in the schemes that that I have knowledge of, uh, is that uh, there was um, improvements for scheme members such as. Um, a better accrual rate uh, and some changes to death and service benefits so for example in the civil service scheme Um, but that was replicated across a number of schemes and some of my colleagues may want to come in and give you some examples of that Um, I've just been uh, very recently made aware um, that uh, the actual cost, say for example in the civil service scheme and we're only starting to get this information so we don't have it across all schemes the cost of rectifying um, McLeod in the Northern Ireland Civil Service Pension Scheme would be in the region of uh, 4.8%. So therefore, those better accrual rates and better death and service benefits that were part of the 2016 valuation that was not implemented, was halted. uh, Therefore, it's very clear to be seen that uh, scheme members are now going to be asked To take um, the hit in relation to uh, paying for something that was not of their fault Uh, and obviously we'll want to study that in more detail uh, as the valuations come out for each of the schemes and i think certainly we will be writing to the committee when we have you know a concrete position uh, on this because i'm sure uh, you would all agree is that you know if somebody else does something wrong that you have no control over then you shouldn't be asked to pay for it uh, ultimately, and that is the trade union side's position. But we're just starting to get those scheme valuations, and again, I would suggest when we have a clearer picture across all schemes that we would write to the committee, and we'd be more than content to come back to address any specifics around those valuations. Alison, but that, that some will... of, some of my colleagues, you know, would have uh, more detailed knowledge. You know, Desi would have detailed knowledge of the um, of the health scheme. And may be able to articulate, you know, some of the information there if that's helpful.
0: Uh, Alison, yeah. just a quick. Alison, does You said 4.8%. Is that only? Is that 4.8% of those who are likely to be affected by Macleod, or is that a 4.8% of the overall pension uh, budget? How? What is that 4.8% specifically related to? That-
4: is related to what they call a floor breach or a um a ceiling breach. So if it's two, if it's more than two percent below or two percent above, then um then it needs to be addressed. At this point in time, the valuation is coming out in the civil service scheme at five point three, but it's four point eight percent. is the remedy of McLeod. Um, so therefore, rather than uh, 2016, because the valuation had been done for the civil service scheme, is that scheme members would have benefit, certainly until the next valuation, is that they're now not getting the benefit of that. Um, Again, I'll provide you with maybe a, a written explanation of that, but Desi, I think, is on the yes. Scheme Advisory Board in health and uh, would be over the detail better than me. Chairman,
7: uh, apologies for the technology the start. The rehearsals went well, but yeah. unfortunately... When I went to execute, it didn't go so well earlier on, but it's a great opportunity to address the committee. In, t- in terms of the health uh, scheme advisory board, I co-chaired along with the management representative, and in 2008, November 2008, after uh, the scheme was assessed and the costs were analysed, we, we were in a position to make recommendations to the minister that, for firstly, that... Um, we, would, we would change the, the way in which we harvest the, the money. Rather, we base that on actual pay rather than whole time equivalents to make it much fairer to those active members. We also uh, sought to index link the, the boundaries regarding uh, scheme contributions. So there are seven bands. So we wanted to index them so that if, say, somebody moved from one band to another, they, they didn't uh, end up with a pay cut as a result of a higher uh, contribution rate. <laughs> and Also, we wanted to take out the last three bans, uh, higher bands, and migrate them to a rate of 12.5%. Uh, and that was part of, uh, trying to improve the, particularly medical and dental retention in the scheme. Uh, and also, in terms of survival benefits, we also had made recommendations that all active members would equalise as of the 1st of April uh, 2015. And we also had room uh, uh, to also uh, make recommendations about reducing the contribution rate across the board by 1%, and also to increase uh, a new benefit, uh, which would build up cash for a lump sum. So they were quite important. Uh, and, as Alison said, the, there is a cost-benefit uh, now being readdressed by valuations, and the government actuarial department are uh, analysing the data. We haven't seen that data, but if, uh, if it is taken into account that we have to actually, members have to actually pay for McLeod, and we need something like an estimated about 34 new staff working within pension administration, uh, to be able to support that, and that's not counting the departmental staff that is required. And you can actually see, you know, the the the, the members will have to have to pay for that. And we, in principle, are, are against that. We're not we're not uh, in any way uh, saying that the direction order per se is wrong. We're just specifically saying that the cost cap recovery uh, for Macleod is is inappropriate. As, and as you can see, those benefits which we, we were recommending to the Minister in November 2018 have the potential to be wiped out uh, if we cover the costs for Macleod. Um, but, I mean, that's a, it's an issue. Until we see the data, we will not know.
0: OK, thanks.
7: Jim,
6: you want to come back in? Uh, there's a world of a difference between 1% and 1% percentage point. 1% percentage point is actually a 9% increase uh, levy on the exchequer if you can understand the difference, if I go from 2% to 3%, that is not a 1% percentage point increase, that is a 50% increase. If you understand the difference. So whilst it sounds attractive saying 1%, it's not, it's 1% percentage point, which is much, much higher. Secondly, as far as our own trustees are concerned, uh, what we're simply doing, we're asking members to pay exactly to the last penny what they would have paid had they re- re- been allowed to remain in the final salary scheme. In other words, had they remained in the scheme, their contributions would have been 12% rather than 9%. So what we've, what we've done is we've gone back to the fir- f- uh, 1 April 2015 and said, what if Emily Smith had, or Jones had stayed in the final salary scheme? What would he or she have paid? Now, that is reasonable because they would have paid that money anyhow to accrue those benefits. They had the choice whether to stay in the final salary scheme or to have gone into uh, the career average scheme. Now, what is unreasonable in asking civil servants to pay exactly what they would have paid had they been allowed to stay in the final salary scheme?
7: Chairman, one of the difficulties is that across, across health uh, there is two effective pension schemes: uh, the 1995 and 2008 make up one scheme, and then the 2015. Once you get into um, significant uh, issues around administration, uh, our advice coming from uh, the pension scheme administrator was it was going to be very very difficult to uh, state that if we had pension contributions that were changed from nineteen ninety five, a different one for two thousand eight and two two thousand and fifteen. So we have always taken the view, and it was across both the management and trade union side, that we should have the same contribution rate, no matter what scheme you were involved in.
6: Even though the final salary scheme is so much more lucrative and attractive than when you retire, are you saying you shouldn't pay an extra contribution towards that? Uh,
7: uh, well, the, the reality of the situation is the 2000 and scheme, which is the final salary scheme, will end. Uh, you know, members will still benefit from contributions, but under, under the new direction, uh, as a result of the consultation, they will move over uh, those that are still working uh, to the 2015 scheme.
6: Uh, well, I think the Department will find it very hard to justify that those who have been taken out of a final salary scheme and then put back into it don't then, are not then asked to pay the amount they would have paid anyhow had, had, had there not been the decision that Macleod overturned. So, so therefore, you know, what you're saying is you're going, to get in, you're going to get seven years' worth of a final salary scheme, but we're not going to ask you to pay for it. I think we, we, no Assembly could stand over that. I'm sorry, I just couldn't. Eric,
9: can I come in there? Please? Yeah, go ahead. Um, the teacher scheme is very different in relation to that. The contribution rates for all teachers were increased under 20, um, for. Act, and basically to get an average of 9.6% across, depending on um, what salary you were in receipt of, so it would be anything from 7% right up to 11, um, depending on the salary you were receiving. That increased from 6.4% to whichever point you were on in the scale, and that was irrelevant to whether you were in the final you in the final salary scheme or in the, the, the care scheme. So I think one of the issues here is that all the public sector teams are actually very different. The teacher scheme is actually much more simple um, compared to some of the others that, that I have heard of. But I think there's no issue that, that regardless of whether you were in the um, final salary or the care scheme within this, you would be paying exactly the same contributions and have been since this was introduced when they were all increased in 2015.
0: Thanks very much. Steve. Jim, do you want to come back in? Jim Quinn? Yeah, I mean, you
5: know, the nail on the head. The schemes are all very different. Firefighters pay 15% the new old scheme. And what Mr. Wells says would be correct, we'll be expected to have to recoup um, that additional payment uh, compared to the new scheme. The new scheme is quite 10 or 12% depending on what, what salary you earn. And if we buy back into the old scheme, the legacy scheme, not buy back, if we're put back in, we'll have to give the money back that uh, the contributions should have been, i.e. 15%. But to go back to the real point about the cost cap evaluation, the Fredericks Union are taking further legal action on this. We have issued judicial review proceedings, essentially because the cost control mechanisms are related to the cost of the 2015 scheme. The cost of correcting discrimination relates to the pre-2015 schemes. And what the government are trying to do is make the people in the, in the post-2015 schemes pay for the discrimination. And uh, that's not what the government intended in 2014 when the cost control mechanisms were debated and passed the U.S. So we believe it's potentially unlawful and uh, that we're still challenging that element of it because you essentially make a one group of people who are not benefiting pay for the cost of someone else who is benefiting and it's it's essentially not fair and potentially unlawful. So that's the, the difference as I see it.
0: Okay, thanks Jim. Thanks very much today. Okay, anybody else? Okay, uh, thanks very much today. Just before I finish, um, just a quick one, Sir Alison. Uh, obviously, we've heard reports that the uh, Northern Ireland civil service pay deal is to be around about 1%. And I just wondered if you'd like to make any sort of comment about that, and also uh, the development about, I think the minister was talking about working from home post-pandemic policy for the civil service. And have you any views on that as well?
4: Okay, yes, just um, in relation to the civil service pension, or sorry, uh, pay, is that um, just in the last few days, we've been made an offer of 1% plus a 1% non-consolidated payment for 2020-2021 and a 1%, The this is the broad bones of it, 1% uh, for twenty one twenty two. 22 um, The representations that... Uh, NPSA and the FDA made to the, directly to the Minister was on the basis that we were looking at a parity with our teacher colleagues, who certainly for 2020, 20, I forget what years we're in sometimes, 2020, 2021, is that they got a 2% consolidated offer and we were looking for the same applicability that didn't. Didn't materialise. Uh, civil servants are very disappointed that we're currently now out to a branch consultation, which will close on the fourteenth of May with members uh, in relation to uh, the current offer. Um, and we we are at. I must admit, uh, you know, I've asked the minister on a number of occasions uh, at meetings and in writing, what is the difference, uh, and what difference has. Teachers who have played a very important role through the last uh, year in education of our children and in the very difficult circumstances. What's the difference to that than civil servants? And I think that's the thing that sticks uh, in the throat of, of many civil servants who have um, went above and beyond uh, in relation to uh, the pandemic and continued to um, provide services. So, uh, any. Uh, You've asked the question, so if the Finance Committee uh, want to make those representations to the Minister and to the Executive, we would be uh, very grateful for that. In relation to the working from home uh, post-pandemic, is that uh, we're now, I think, on our second uh, draft of a working from home policy, uh, which we're working intensely with. Uh, another a revised copy just arrived with us yesterday, and we're working intensely with the management side to try to uh, top and tail that and we would be uh, hopeful that that will be implemented in the very near future um and we're content that you know we're we're making progress on issues to ensure that whether it's a blended approach uh whether it addresses issues for people who don't want to uh, work at home or can't work from home is that all of those issues uh, are addressed including uh, one of the issues of sort of a, a bit of a thorny issue is the fact that uh, for many members uh, working from home, the traditional cost, particularly during the, the winter months of heating. Uh, and as you know, about 12,500 civil servants are not below 24,000 uh, pounds, and therefore heating their homes uh, while working at home has been very difficult for some. Uh, and uh, we would be hoping that we can uh, crack that nut because we haven't been able to do so to date. But I want to assure the committee nipsa is working intensely with the management side on a working from home policy so that um, the new world of work that we uh thought was never going to be realized when we asked previously about working from home for that we were told no but there is a significant number uh, of members who um like for example in the department of communities my understanding there's about three thousand uh, of about eight thousand staff in on a very regular basis on a daily basis but I want to assure the committee uh, that we're working intensely on a working, uh, well, we're saying a working from home policy. I think it's remote working because it's not about necessarily working at home. It's about working at home or working in the hubs that are being developed across Northern Ireland.
0: Okay, thanks. Jim, come
1: back in. Yeah, just going <laughs> on from that, um, the next briefing we have is from the department in respect of the uh, Reform Management Programme. I was just wondering, has the, have the unions a view about that in terms of the impact of the pandemic on the needs of the departments in terms of its office estate and indeed the Connect Hubs? Um, is, are the unions or is the department working with the unions on this? Or, or, or what is your take on it all?
4: yeah through the through the central whitley uh arrangements uh, there's what's called an accommodation committee so those are rightfully the place where all of the issues around accommodation the hubs i mean for example we have made uh commentary uh and representations in relation to uh in that sort of mid-ulster area in the sort of the Macrofelt mid-ulster area there's no hub there um and you know, we think that could be beneficial both to the department and to, to workers who live in that area going forward. So we're actively engaged in seeking to address obviously the needs of, the, of our members first and foremost, but also what are the needs uh, of the civil service in the new world in which we are working on all of those issues. And we just want to ensure that the issues do come to us um, in the appropriate um, time for meaningful uh, consultation rather than when decisions have been taken.
1: Okay,
0: Okay. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much indeed, Alison. And thank you very much indeed for your team for coming along. And thank you very much indeed for your taking your time. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Assembly Broadcast, if you can take the witnesses off spotlight, please. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, team. uh The department has not, uh, as we heard, the department has not specified a timescale for the introduction of the LCM. It may be expected before summer recess, but this is dependent on progress of the parent uh, of the parent Westminster legislation. Uh, members would be content whether we wish to set out a view in respect of the uh, NICICTU's arguments that primary legislation is needed, or should we be looking to see whether it uh, wait and see what's coming from Westminster and see what's in the LCM? Go ahead,
6: Jim. Mr Chairman, I think this committee has given this incredibly detailed scrutiny. Um, uh, what I would say is that because of the issues I've outlined already, I believe we must wait until the legislative yeah. consent motion continues to Westminster. We must take on board any concerns that the trade unions have uh, and then make a decision as to the best way forward. But the balance of probabilities is very much that we're going to go down the LCM route. Mm-hmm. For the reasons I've outlined, That we don't, I don't believe we have time now. For Premier legislation to get this invoked before the deadline of March twenty
0: twenty two? Okay. Yep. Okay. Any other thoughts? I agree with yeah, Go ahead. i i agree
7: with Mr. Wells on that, Chair. Here. I think we have to see just what's coming out of Westminster.
0: My ideas? <coughs> Gemma, did you have your hand up?
4: No, but I, I do agree with uh, both Militia and Jim Wells there on that, just to wait and see what's coming from Westminster.
0: Okay. Okay then, Timothy. If we're content uh, to write to the department seeking further information on the public sector pension revaluation process and related timescales, as well as the timescales for the LCM, so let's write to the department and see if they can get some more information out of Westminster. I know they've been trying, but i can do it as well.
3: Chair, just to clarify on timescales for legislation, what the speaker indicated was that the I think the 11th of June mm-hmm. date refers to private members' uh, bills only. Uh, there's
6: no deadline on executive uh, bills. I accept that, crack, uh, but he also stated the difficulty right. that the assembly right. would face in getting anything through if it was received after the 9th of June, particularly a substantive piece of legislation like this. And we have to have a cut-off date, where it's unlikely, given the amount of business that's coming up, and the summer recess, that we will going really to get it through. So we need to have a very good reason why we don't go down the LCM route here. Mm-hmm. I think also, Chairs, for members' information, that the
3: bill could be taken by accelerated passage. If you wanted to do that route, it could be done that way. Um, not that I'm suggesting that you should, but you do have that option. Then
1: you wouldn't have the scrutiny.
3: Well, uh, indeed, uh, or you could have a short committee stage, um, but that would be uh, it, that would be tricky because we know we have at least four executive bills coming our direction uh, in the autumn. And when the LCM comes, as members know, there will be a. Fairly sort of short motion, but I anticipate the bill will be on the back of it, and that will be laid. Uh, so there will be the committee will then have fifteen working days to produce a report, um, and it may then choose to propose whatever it wants to propose. Um, but it would be a question, then so then the the minister would have a choice: um, go for the legislative consent motion, um, potentially have the executive, the, the assembly reject that, or. Say okay, then we're not have a legislative consent motion. I'll bring forward primary legislation, or not, or just go down the primary le- uh, the uh, legislative consent motion route, as seems to be um, uh, the case. Could I also ask, sorry, Chair, I'll stop talking? Could I also ask if the committee is content to write to Nick Ictu and just ask them to explicitly set out? Sorry, it's the,
0: yes, it's explicitly set out what the peculiarities were, because that yeah. was mentioned several times, and when Six we asked the again. question what the peculiarities were, I didn't.
2: Well, I think it boiled down to two specific things. One was um, the border. cross-border pension schemes. I can understand there would be particular legalities there, and the other one is different ages
0: for the fire scheme. They seem relatively discrete issues that could be. Um, I know there are specific differences between the sort of within the uh, health service pensions and sort of within the teachers' pensions. There are specific okay. differences in there, and yeah. I understand there's peculiarities between that and sort of the schemes in England, Scotland, and Wales as well.
6: Equally, Mr. Chair, I, I will down the ditch over this issue that people should not be placed back in exactly the same position they would have been had they stayed within a final salary scheme. Mm-hmm. They can't have their cake and eat it. They can't go back into a final salary scheme and then refuse to pay the additional contributions that they would have paid had they stayed in it. Yeah, I mean, that's just a crucial... That's a, that's a fun, I mean, the Department will laugh us out of courts if we support that. It just yeah. can't be done.
0: But you can't go back into... Um, my understanding is if you're going back into the final salary pension scheme, you have to pay the, the, yeah. the delta.
6: It's an extra, probably an extra three percentage point... Increase, not three percent, three percentage points.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay, Uh There we go. Uh, sorry, I was saying. Is the committee content to write to the department seeking further information on the public sector pension revaluation process, the related timescales as well, as the intended timescales for the LCM? Are we agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Move on to the next item on the agenda. Uh, can we uh, add the officials to come into spotlight to the Department of Finance, and it's Derek Kennedy. Derek. Okay. How are you? Good to, good to see you. Uh, so team, we're having a briefing now in the Department of Finance Reform of Property Management. Uh, the Department will brief the committee on the Reform of Property Management Programme and the Connect to Regional Hubs. Uh, Derek Kennedy, uh, who is the senior responsible owner of the Reform of uh, Property Management Programme. Clark's covered notice at page sixty-two. The written ministerial statement on Connect to Regional Hubs at page sixty-seven. The NIAO report managing the Central Government Office of State, is at page 70, and the Northern Ireland Asset Management Strategy is at page 134. Uh, you might uh, just like to draw your attention to page 120 of the meeting packs, which, in the absence of any written material from the Department, sets out the Northern Ireland Audit Office Summary of the Reform of uh, Property Management Programme. Derek, would you like to make your opening statement, please? Thanks.
10: Thank you, Chair. Good afternoon, I'm Derek Kennedy, senior responsible owner of the Reform of Property Management Program. I'd like to thank the committee for this opportunity to provide you with an overview of the program and the progress that we've made to date since the committee was last briefed, and address any questions that you may have. The Reform of Property Management Program was established to assist in the delivery of the objectives of the executive's asset management strategy, namely to reduce the net cost of service delivery through the efficient use of public assets and to promote effective asset management processes that unlock value. The program's goal is to be an efficient, value-adding, property-shared service for central government. And successful delivery of the established program promotes a number of program for government outcomes. Namely, we live and work sustainably, protecting the environment. We have high-quality public services. We have created a place where people want to live and work, to visit and invest. We connect people through we connect people and opportunities through our infrastructure. We prosper through a strong, competitive, regionally balanced economy. In 2018, the program introduced a new approach to investment planning across the estate. Historically, investment in the estate was reactive, dictated by a number of factors, including availability and/or scarcity of funding, single-year budgets, an aging estate, and a fragmented management approach to assets across central government. The investment strategy developed in 2018 incorporated a robust and scientific approach to our office portfolio. It provides a basis for high-level decision-making across the portfolio. It supports scenario scenario planning based on the level of investment available, investment standards, fluctuations in occupancy, such as we're seeing currently, the mix of freehold and leasehold properties, market conditions, and ultimately, the investment strategy supports a holistic approach to portfolio management. The investment strategy carried out a comprehensive review of the then performance of the estate, including condition surveys of our assets, space utilization studies, fitness for purpose assessments and compared the operational running costs in relation to other properties within the portfolio. In 2018, the investment model concluded that there was a surplus of 210. Thousand meters square of net internal area or NIA, and that ideally, circa two hundred and thirty-seven thousand meters square of net internal area should be disposed of or exited. The investment model showed that this would lead to a shortfall in office space of circa twenty-seven thousand square meters, as assets in this portion of the estate were identified as being at end of lease, end of life. Or no longer fit for purpose. The investment strategy also identified key metrics in the performance of the estate, namely the significant difference between leasehold cost and freehold cost. The freehold cost of the estates, the average cost of FTEs was 2,262 pounds per annum. The cost where recent refurbishment in a freehold asset took place reduced that cost down to 460 pounds per FTE per annum. In our leasehold estate, by comparison, the average cost of FTEs was 5,070. The average cost per FTE was 5,074 pounds. The investment strategy provided a framework for investment across central government's entire office portfolio and has become a key tool in controlling lease event related activity across the entire estate, promoting central management of the estate in conjunction with the existing property controls. In regards to our progress to date, since the committee was last briefed on the RPM program, the program has made measured progress. The, the aforementioned investment strategy was developed and implemented in conjunction with the property controls. We've acquired a short-term lease at nine land in place. This intervention reduced our net internal area within the associated assets of 25,069 square meters to 13,570 square meters, realizing a savings of 2.7 million pounds per annum. We've also acquired James House as a freehold asset. And this uh, intervention has reduced our net internal area again from the associated assets from 14,526 meters square, to 9,525 metres squares. Uh, this project, when completed, will ultimately realise a savings of $2.8 million per annum upon completion. This is also additionally, and notably, that this intervention will significantly reduce central government's reliance on leasehold properties within Belfast. We're also carrying out a refurbishment of an existing freehold asset in Orchard House, and that will reduce our net internal area from 10,037 square meters to 5,317 meters square. This will ultimately realize the savings of 1,083,000 pounds per annum upon completion. We've completed a pilot demonstrating new approaches and new ways to use office accommodation in Goodwood House. Further work is required, however, because evidence is proving that Um, Increased costs associated with rent and inflation in terms of uh, property related costs such as energy and and maintenance have and will continue to erode savings if we don't continue to work to uh, uh, drive further savings. Since 2018, RPM has widened its focus from the technical aspects that realize estate rationalization savings and have evolved now to encompass softer aspects, such as establishing an NICS culture that promotes work as an activity rather than a place that we go. These softer aspects bring additional benefits, such as improvements in how work is done, improved diversity, improved work life balance, health and well being, and potential improvements in sickness absenteeism and productivity. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought about a step change in the way of working and how the NACS uses its estate. From March 2020, the NACS has successfully mobilized to deliver many of its services remotely. The NACS is now presented with a generational opportunity to introduce new ways of working that will support the, uh, that will support the realization of many cross-departmental program for government benefits and outcomes. Overall, The appetite among staff and departments for a blended approach to remote working across the civil service is significant as supported by the recent NISRA people survey and the qualitative survey completed by the Department of Finance. While the current level of remote working is neither practical nor optimum, looking to the future, some business units have suggested that their new operating model may consist of up to 60% of staff working outside of their traditional office on a blended model approach. The Civil Service Recovery Plan has programmed to work with departments this year to support them in the realization of new ways of working. Clearly, the Central Government Office of State should reflect the ongoing reform. Given the detrimental impact of COVID-19 on local economies and the executive's aspiration for a green approach to recovery, it is imperative that the NICS Office of State works to realize cross-departmental PFG outcomes and objectives. To that end, the Office of State investment strategy is currently being refreshed to consider the following. Firstly, the continuation of the best practice embedded in the, existed investment, the existing investment strategy, namely the asset management, science based approach that was applied in the 2018 investment strategy. Second, to work to the extent possible to continue to reduce revenue pressure within public spending, i.e., continue to reduce our property related costs. Three, Support local economic recovery. Four, support local regeneration. And finally, five, minimize the negative impact of the estate by working towards the net zero agenda. To that end, the investment plans for the NACS office estate will focus on a reduction of the overall estate while maximizing the local economic and regeneration benefits and working to minimize our environmental impacts in towns and cities across the region. We're promoting a joined up, we're promoting joined up government by working with local councils to the extent possible to ensure that the impact of investment within local council areas best reflects the needs of each area and maximizes value to the public first. Support today across Council Chief Executives has been encouraging. In addition, Connect2 hubs have been established, which provides strategically located work and collaboration space for NICS staff. Connect2 facilities will support new ways of working, allowing staff to work remotely whilst connecting to people, technology, and the office place. An an implementation plan is being rolled out with the first Connect2s expected open soon, subject to public health advice and the executive's recovery plan. How were the the Connect2 hubs located or how how did we choose the locations? NICS staff postcode data was evaluated in conjunction with spatial data provided by Ordnance Survey. By overlapping the first three digits of staff postcodes with their associated head office, Ordnance Survey was able to identify commuter corridors and densities of staff in terms of their home locations. This was then cross-referenced with our existing portfolio and our investment strategy to determine potential locations for our hubs. Connect 2s will primarily focus on utilizing the existing freehold estate, albeit not necessarily exclusively limited to it. The revised investment plan will provide a strategic balanced approach to the management of central government's office portfolio it's important to note that the plan does not promote the wholesale decentralization out of of departments out of belfast it's envisaged that there will always be a significant nacs presence within belfast city center in conclusion chair the rpm program is taking a balanced approach to investment by working collaboratively across central and local government in order to reduce future revenue pressure, help address regional imbalance, promote economic recovery and responsibly manage our impact on the environment and support the ongoing reform within the NACS departments. Thank you, Chair. I'm happy to address any questions you may have.
0: Thanks, Derek, and thanks for that very comprehensive brief. Gemma, do you want to come in?
1: Chair, I'd like to make a proposal, if I might, at this stage. Sure, yeah. uh, Mr Kennedy was asked to provide the normal courtesy of a written statement in advance to this committee so that we could come here today having read it and ask intelligent questions. Mm -hmm. The department failed to do so. We came here today and we got a speech where he threw lots of facts and figures at us. Frankly, we cannot do our job of scrutinising on this basis. I would like to propose that Mr. Kennedy provides the document he read from, and that he is instructed to return next week to answer any questions we might have.
0: Is there anybody who wishes to second that proposal? Oh.
6: Yes. It's from Jim Elsagner.
0: Okay. Uh, I think, Derek. Uh, we were not given a written brief, and it's obviously you read a very detailed brief out to the the committee as we came through. And obviously, one of the things we would like to have had would have been the opportunity to scrutinise that in a degree of detail. And there was, your briefing was very detailed, uh, I think. Uh, and again, I am, I must admit, I am minded. Uh, to accept the, both the proposal and the seconders approach to that and ask you to uh, provide that written brief to us. and We would then ask you to come back and, and talk to us when we had a chance to have some more, more detail on that. Because there some particular specifics in that that you, you raise that, looking at the Northern Ireland Audit Office report, and I was reading the report at the same time as you were speaking to check up against some of the things, I would like to have the opportunity to examine the two things in comparison together particularly to do that, and also indeed with some of the other information we have received, particularly to do with proposals for uh, remote working and the business for business hubs as as well. I will put that to the committee. If it has been proposed and seconded that we ask you to submit that as a written brief to the committee, and uh, if that is the case, I would ask the committee all those in favour say aye. 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 I think that is agreed. So, uh, Derek, if you could provide that to the committee, and we will reconvene at a, a convenient date. Okay. Absolutely, Chairman. Okay. Thank you.
3: Um, Neil, could you scare a beard? Yeah. Thanks.
0: Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, there was. Some, uh, but look, uh, Sarah and of uh, thank you, uh, Jim, for bringing that to the to the committee, but. Uh, yeah. There was a written brief. He was obviously written, re- reading off a written brief, yeah. and it's a considerable amount of detail on it. And uh, I must admit, r- trying to read that at the same time as trying to try with the data with the Northern Ireland Audit Office report, I was having the words uh, "degree of inconsistency" Recently, to do yeah. with as well.
11: Okay. Chair, I just ahead, to, Mr. To, to back you up, there's chair and also the proposer of the, of the uh, decision. There, uh, I think there's standards here
8: mm-hmm.
11: and there's principles here as to what. job is and our role is and the scrutiny that we uh, fulfill and our duty and you know there are just basic standards and i I think we have to abide by them and if we erode that accrued that in any way then before you know it, the department will be doing this in every aspect and every topic so we have high standards here and i think we stick to them
2: okay okay any other comments no i think that's I think it's a, a, a completely fair, reasonable request, and okay. I'll try and ask him useful, intelligent questions.
0: Okay, thank you very much, dude. Move to the next item of the agenda. It's oral presentation. Uh, assembly research from Raise on the UK Internal Market Act, and if we can bring Eden uh, onto the spotlight, please. Hi, Eden. Yeah, we can. Yes. Okay.
12: Thank you Chair um, So I just want to share my screen Hopefully that works too And then I'll get on with the presentation
0: Yep Okay just allow me to just quickly say The following papers are relevant to this agenda item uh, The raised paper on the UK Internal Market Act page 214 And a response to the committee's query Regarding the UK Government's recovery loan, recovery loan scheme Is on page 251 Over to you Aidan please thanks
12: Thank you, Chair. Hopefully, you can see uh, a presentation. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as you said, Chair, I'm going to speak to you today about the Internal Market Act 2020 and, in particular, about how that relates to the protocol. Um, so, within the presentation today, I will. Um, I will uh, outline some important context, which sort of provides a framework for the rest of the the presentation and for the paper in general. Um, I'll look then at what the IMA does. I don't have time to go through it on a clause-by-clause basis, but hopefully there'll be time to give you a sufficient overview um, of all all of the detailings contained in the paper. And then I'll examine how the IMA relates to the protocol across three um, specific um, categories. So first of all, on the context, uh, the context, just to state that the findings of this paper are heavily reliant on what is stated in the IMA and the protocol itself, as well as their support and documents. Now, this has been supplemented uh, somewhat by um, guidance by UK government and the European Union, and as well, uh, it's been supplemented by um, some uh, commentary from academia. Um, raises sought to ensure that the paper does not delve into legal advice opinion or political opinion by avoiding interpretation. The, com- the committee may wish to um, seek our expert opinion or in-house legal advice on some of the issues uh, raised in the paper. And just to, to, to remind the committee that the, the role of raise here is to provide impartial objective and non-partisan research briefings to the committee and to members. Um, just a little bit more, uh, uh, just to, to note that the, this, this paper has been prepared in a complex and unsettled area. There's no meeting of minds uh, between the EU and the UK on the implementation of the protocol and that this implementation itself is subject to ongoing discussions. Um, additionally, both the IMA and the protocol are subject to legal challenges. Uh, and that the, uh, the, the paper has been prepared in this context and within this context it has identified potential implications that the committee may wish to liaise uh, with the relevant departments. So with all that in just, mind, Aiden,
0: just come to a stop here, of course, because I am a, a, a co respondent on one of the legal challenges, particularly over the protocol. I should make a declaration of interest. <coughs> and do you want to make one as well, Jim? Yes, indeed. Yeah, Jim, i make a declaration of interest as well. Sorry about that, Ed. We just wanted to make okay. sure we got that right.
12: No problem. Thank you, Chair. Um, okay. So with that in mind, I'll, I'll, I'll move on to what. Um, the IMA does. Um, So before I get uh, to provide some detail on that, I'll just uh, talk a little bit about its purpose. Um, As per its explanatory memorandum, the Act was designed to uh, preserve the United Kingdom's internal market as powers previously exercised at European level returned to the UK. So the Act is divided into eight parts, and amongst other things, these parts introduced market access principles for both goods and services. So essentially, these principles um, sought to ins- seek to ensure that a good or a service that is legally for sale in one part of the UK can be legally for sale in other parts of the UK, and that regulation in one part of the UK cannot discriminate against a good or a service from another part of, of the UK. The Act also contains provisions for the recognition of professional qualifications across the UK. It- contains provisions which provide new powers to the competition market authority to um, oversee the UK internal market. And it contains uh, a number of provisions which deal directly with issues arising out of the protocol. These include Northern Ireland's place in the UK internal market and the UK customs territory, provisions dealing with uh, unfettered access for Northern Ireland goods within the UK market, and provisions which deal with the continued application of uh, EU state aid rules uh, in Northern Ireland. These, these um, elements form the, uh, the the majority of the rest of the presentation. We'll get to those just in just a moment. Before we do, I'll also point out that the, the IMA um, granted uh, powers to UK government to provide financial assistance and to regulate subsidies across the UK. Um, so, uh, section three of this paper... Um, it sought to identify those um, provisions uh, of the IMA, which have, uh, which are related to the protocol, or which have implications that are related to the protocol. And it did so uh, uh, by, uh, and then categorized them into uh, three distinct categories. And that's provision. The first category is provisions, which affect the flow of goods across the UK and in particular from Northern Ireland to GB and from GB to Northern Ireland. And that's an important distinction because the the IMA uh, treats the flow of goods differently. The provisions of the IMA treat the flow of goods differently depending on which direction they're going. Um, And these provisions which uh, will take up the bulk of the the presentation. And the second category uh, are provisions which concern, concern the continued application of EU state aid regulation in Northern Ireland and finally, there's a third category uh, of provisions which regard other matters. And these are simply provisions which didn't fit neatly into uh, either of the other two categories, but which have relations to the protocol and I worth bring to your, the committee's attention. So if we look at the um, provisions regarding the flow of goods, um, there's three distinct sections within the Act that deal with the flow of goods uh, directly. Well, first, first of all is Section 11, and Section 11 forms uh, part of the wider part of the Act that deals with the market access, access principles for goods. So to reiterate, the market access principles are twofold. There's a mutual recognition principle, which holds that any good lawfully sold in one part of the UK is automatically lawfully for sale in all other parts of the UK, and there's a non-discrimination principle which holds the statutory rules or regulations in one part of the UK should not prevent goods from another part of the UK from being sold. So what Section 11 seeks to do is, in the words of the Act, modify the market access principles for goods in connection with the protocol. Now before it does this, Section 11 states that the application of market access goods in relation, in relation to the sale of goods in Northern Ireland are affected by provisions in both the protocol and the EU Withdrawal Act 2008, specifically those specifically those um, provisions in the EU Withdrawal Act that give effect to the protocol itself. Um, so then, after this, the Section 11 introduces the modifications to um, the market access principles for, for Northern Ireland. And they, they seek to enable uh, Northern Ireland goods to be placed on uh, the, the UK market. And they do so by introducing... Um, a concept of qualifying Northern Ireland goods. Now, the definition of qualifying Northern Ireland goods in this in this context is twofold, as I set out in the legislation. It concerns goods that are wholly uh, produced in Northern Ireland. That's the first definition. And the second definition is what is referred to as Northern Ireland processed products. Northern Ireland processed product products can be goods that are processed in Northern Ireland with component parts that were wholly produced in Northern Ireland. Or produced in Northern Ireland of component parts that were brought into Northern Ireland uh, through a customs procedure. Um, so the market access, the, the, the IMS states that the market access principles uh, apply for goods that fit the definition of a qualified Northern Ireland goods. Um, in uh, they do not um, they do not apply to uh, to goods that fall outside of that definition. Um, this is, this is focused solely on the movement of goods from Northern Ireland to GB, and there are no similar provisions in the IMA uh, for GB goods in Northern Ireland. It's also important to point out that the current definition of qualifying Northern Ireland goods is seen by the UK government as a bridge to a longer lasting regime. They have stated their intention to uh, introduce this longer-lasting regime in 2021 and have stated this will be developed uh, alongside uh, business. Moving on to Section 46, which again uh, focuses on the flow of goods. This uh, concerns Northern Ireland's place within the UK internal market and UK customs territory. Uh, It's focused on the free flow of goods between GB and Northern Ireland. And It states that authorities must have special regard for Northern Ireland's place in the internal market and customs territory when exercising a function that implements the protocol or a function which facilitates the implementation of the protocol. Um, the explanatory memorandum that accompanies the IMA explains that this article, sorry, this section, section 46, supports Article 6.2 of the protocol, which states that having regard to Northern Ireland's entitled place in the UK, internal market, the EU and the UK shall use their best endeavours to facilitate trade between Northern Ireland and other parts of the UK in accordance with their applicable legislation and taking into account their respective regulatory regimes. And it's, it should be pointed out that the UK's applicable legislation and respective uh, regulatory regime includes the elements of EU law that apply in Northern Ireland, via the protocol and its annexes. And then finally, on the floor of goods, uh, Section 47 um, concerns on uh, access from Northern Ireland goods moving to GB. Um, so this states that the appropriate authorities should not exercise their functions in a way that introduces a new check on a qualified Northern Ireland good moving from Northern Ireland to GB, or which causes an existing cheque to be used in a new way. In this context, um, qualifying Northern Ireland good has the same meaning as outlined in Section 11. That's something wholly produced in Northern Ireland or Northern Ireland processed product. Um, it's, important to, uh, it's important to point out that the article does not pre- prevent cheques... Uh, so. The, the section does not prevent checks on goods moving in the other direction from GB to Northern Ireland, and there's no provision, equivalent provision in the IMA, to prevent, to, to that prohibits checks in the same way from GB on goods moving from GB to Northern Ireland. Um, the this, this the specified prohib, prohibition is also not absolute, in that the section allows for checks in certain limited circumstances. For example, um, checks are allowed. Uh, where they are required by virtue of the UK or the EU's international obligations. Uh, so there is a figure on page uh, 243 and presented uh, in front of you uh, now. Um, hopefully you can you can see that okay, but uh, it's in the packs. page 243 if not. This is an attempt to provide a summary of what the IMA provisions do uh, with respect to the flow of goods. Um, again what i'd like to draw the the, the committee's attention to is the 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 way the ima provisions treat um goods flows definitely depending on the direction so again we see that uh, section 47 prohibits new checks and the new use of uh, existing checks on goods moving from northern ireland to gb there's no equivalent provision on goods moving the other way um although these goods uh move movements should uh the authority should have special regard for northern ireland's place in the uk internal market and customs union as well as facilitating gb uh, to ni trade when exercising its functions and this uh this this phrase special regard is something that i flagged up in the paper that the committee may wish to seek uh, further opinion uh, on uh, either from expert witness or perhaps from uh uh, the, the the departments relevant departments. So moving on quickly to the second focus on state aid. Uh, There are a number of these. Uh, uh, Section 48 places a requirement on the UK government to publish guidance on state aid in Northern Ireland with respect to Article 10 of the protocol. This was published uh, on the 31st of December 2020, and I've included a summary of what that guidance said with regard to Article 10 on. As it annex to the paper on page two hundred forty-nine of the packs, section forty-nine states that only the Secretary of State uh, can notify the European Commission on state aid with regard, with respect to Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, um, the UK government has stated that this reflects the status quo in the sense that that function was carried out uh, by the Secretary of State for Foreign Commonwealth and Development Affairs, whilst the UK was a member of the EU and throughout the transition period
0: yeah just to, just for a quick one just to, for clarification that that means that it's it was the status quo as was uh pre uh De- um, end of December last year
12: right.
5: yeah. Sorry, yeah. So
0: it's, it's not really the status quo it's what it's at the at the last at the last fixed point yeah yes it,
12: yeah apologies for not being clear there
3: yeah
12: um so uh, sections fifty to fifty three also uh, look at state aid or have potential state aid implications. Section fifty and fifty one provides UK ministers with the power to provide financial assistance across the UK, including assistance for the purposes of uh, economic development. Section fifty two and fifty three provides UK government with the power to regulate subsidies across the UK. Now the explanatory memorandum notes that this subsidy power is subject to Article 10 of the protocol. It does not state the same with regard to the financial assistance powers. Um, And then there's the the two sections of the IMA, which I've put together in this other catch-all section. Um, uh, They are Section 30, Part 9, which clarifies the role of the um, competition market authorities uh, Office of Internal Market will not include uh, uh, the IMA provisions that give effect to the protocol. And then Section 55 of the IMA sets out the legislative processes which will take place should Article 5 to 10 of the protocol cease to apply. And essentially, this means that should those articles of the protocol cease to apply, certain aspects of the IMA will also cease to apply and certain aspects of um, the European Union Withdrawal Act will also cease to apply. So that's uh, that's me. Apologies. That's a, that's quite a long uh, presentation. Uh, there was a lot to unpack there and hopefully we will be able to unpack a bit more in, in questions. Thank you.
0: Ian, just, just for clarity, and you might not have the information on this, but obviously if there's already been changes where we're 109 days or 110 days on beyond, now, with the implication of the protocol, and the protocols in place, but there's already been shifts in how the United Kingdom is looking at applying state aid in other areas throughout the UK. So, the difference between where the UK is now and where the UK was 108 days ago—that is, a, that is, that is already an area of contention because there's because we're applying. What would be the view of a state aid to the status quo back in December, rather than the, the were the position where we are now? Is that your understanding?
12: Oh, um, sorry, chair. Uh, I don't quite understand. Uh, you're saying that. State aid's moved on from the time...
0: Basically, basically the UK government's now made some particular things to do. You'll see that it's already doing something in the steel industry and it's also doing other areas of industry. It's doing support. That is obviously decisions it's made after the end of the 30th of December. So Northern Ireland would, by implication, if we were fully part of of, um, the UK's process, we would be uh, subject to those state aid rules. However... Within the implications of the IMA, we are supposedly uh, at the status quo as we were on the 30th of December, the, because, the, the, because the, the ground is already shifted. So that's yeah, sort I, of the implications. I, 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 and
12: if I, if I just, ref, if I guess it's good to refer you to the, um, the the UK government's guidance um, on um, on Article 10 that it published in December, um, where it's stated. Um, apologies, just to find the correct. Uh, the correct use of terminology here um, yeah so it's stated in that guidance that um in relation to the continued application of state aid in northern ireland the public authorities should take the steps to continue to take the steps that they would have taken before the first of january 2021 to comply with state aid rules and they also advise that with respect to northern ireland uh, they also encouraged the use of support on a no-aid basis such as commercial loan guarantees and noted that subsidies that have a purely local effect would not constitute a state aid. Okay,
0: okay, thanks. Okay. Jim.
1: Yeah, um, first of all, could I thank you for the paper? I think I was <laughs> impressed by it in terms of its detail and uh, indeed its clarity in, in uh, the manner in which it approaches these, so very much appreciate it. Um. It is quite clear from this paper that the distinction between the direction of travel of goods is underscored by the Internal Market Act. Sections 11 and 47 effectively provide for unfettered trade from Northern Ireland to GB, uh, but that is not reciprocated because of the protocol from GB to Northern Ireland. and the, the only sucker we have in that regard is Section 46, mm-hmm. uh, and Section 46 uh, is, of course, interesting and probably will itself be litigated. But it, it does talk about having special anyone, uh, any appropriate authority, which effectively means any government minister, <coughs> or indeed, probably in the case of the border post, any council. Uh, in implementing the protocol must have special regard to and then it talks about the Northern Ireland's integral price in the internal market, etc. That phraseology special regard to. Is there any significance in the fact, do you think, that you know, when it comes to the Explanatory Memorandum, the words actually used are the highest possible regard. The words in the act are special regard, but when explaining that the government has provided the phraseology highest possible regard, do you think is there any significance in that? Uh, I'm not sure, I I, I did notice that, but um,
12: I'm afraid the actual meaning of that um, I'm afraid, that the Chair, that, that would um, start to stray into interpretation of of the yeah. of the law. which was like I, I wouldn't be comfortable doing, or should, nor should nor should I be doing. Um, uh, I do. I would. Write, I would remind um, the the committee that the the uh, research services is uh, engaged in another piece of work where we are um, developing a list of um, um, experts uh, for the committee to consult with regards to. Um, these sort of issues and um, maybe within that list when it comes to the committee soon there, there may be some people that could provide the types of um, uh, interpretation that, that the committee seeking.
0: Yeah, just, just through Jim, Aidan and sort of maybe Matthew might like to come in on this one um, special regard and best endeavours are terms that are used regularly in trade uh, trade treaties and trade deals highest possible regard It's not something that I recognise, and I'm just checking my sort of uh, lexicon of international treaty law wording Mm -hmm. that doesn't sort of immediately flash up on me. So it does seem to be a does it's uh, ambiguous to
1: say the least. I think that's why I suggested there probably will be litigation in itself about this, but best endeavours is the phraseology used in the protocol. Um, Special regard is the phraseology used in the Internal Market Act. But when explaining that, then they use the phraseology highest possible regard, which seems to be an, an attempt to indicate that you you can't get anything higher. It's the highest possible regard. Mm. But you still have that dichotomy between the highest or the special regard to Northern Ireland's position within the internal market and the compulsions of the protocol, which effectively put it in the EU single market. So that you still have that contradiction at the heart of all of this. Isn't that fair?
12: Mm-hmm. Um, there, the, 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 the IMA certainly does treat the the, the movement of goods in different, uh, different directions differently. It's...
1: Yeah. Uh, And it's quite clear on the full reading of the Internal Market Bill that it's subject to the market access principles of the protocol. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, the protocol has the primacy. Is that right or not?
12: Again, um, that would be delving into legal interpretation. um, And perhaps it's something the committee may wish to... um, uh, to explore with, with legal services or, again,
1: with, um, with, with uh, experts. Well, there's a number track. of useful uh, pointers to what things we might follow up. I think there's about 20 of them. Yeah. And certainly I'd be happy to see those, that followed up. But thank you very much.
0: OK. Aidan, thanks very much. Aiden. Any other? Sorry, Matthew. Thank any you.
2: Uh, and and um, uh, yeah, this is a very helpful paper. Thank you, Aidan. Um, can I just ask to, for you, can you give us a summary um, about what, of what the... Because there's a, another a degree of ambiguity about what the IMA says about goods, uh, NI goods, the treatment of NI goods in relation to um, UK trade deals. Because... The, it, could you give us a quick um, view on that? Because clearly the IMA interacts with p- theoretical new UK trade deals and Northern Ireland is in um, an anomalous position because of the protocol. So I don't know if that's something you...
12: Uh, Apologies, I'm struggling to hear the member.
2: Oh, sorry. Apologies, Ian. I'm not sitting close enough to the microphone. Uh, My question was around um, implications of the IMA uh, when it comes to treatment of Northern Ireland originating goods uh, in UK trade deals.
12: Um, th- that's an interesting question, and uh, apology is not something I, I considered when um, when looking at the 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 the, the IMA. Um, I, it's something I'm happy to take a look at f- for the committee, and then get back to you on.
2: Okay. It would be helpful that 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 plus the question of whether there's anything in the IMA that um, disadvantages not, Northern Ireland will be in a different position in the IMA from what you've said and from everything we know in relation to new UK trade deals in relation to goods coming into Northern Ireland, but not necessarily in relation to goods that are leaving Northern Ireland for destinations with which the UK has a trade deal. It would be helpful to understand that, but also Northern Ireland's positionary trade deals, EU trade deals, one of the Potential situations that might be beneficial, it might not be, but might be beneficial is if Northern Ireland has a, a sort of being a degree of being amped and its goods can um, can reach markets via both um, uh, trade arrangements that both, if you like, jurisdictions have. So if you're able, that would be something I think for us to follow up on. I do, but I don't. know It doesn't sound like you've looked at it in this particular instance. I, I do not uh, If the
12: committee wishes to follow up on that, I'm very happy to do that.
0: Yep. Thanks. Thanks very much indeed, Ian. And uh, if we don't have any other further questions, Ian, thank you very much indeed. Can for I ask your... one, sir? Oh, sorry, yes, yeah, sir. Sorry. Just for
8: myself. So, it, uh, the internal market. If you brought goods in from Europe to Northern Ireland, I'm just asking myself: uh, uh, Can you bring them back unfettered into the whole of the UK market? So, like. Luxury goods from Italy, I bring them in here. I can now then bring them out and sell them in the UK market on Fettered.
12: Um It depends on the interpretation of the um, qualified Northern Ireland good. And to reiterate that, that includes goods that are wholly produced in Northern Ireland or um, which are Northern Ireland processed goods. So they're processed either with... Um, Made up of um, components wholly produced in Northern Ireland, or um, components that have been brought in via customs procedure. So, I, I'm not on. I wouldn't like to to interpret whether they would fall into that. But um, I, I, don't think those sorts sort of goods would be going under any, um, sort of processing. But it may be, uh, again, it may be something the committee may wish to to explore with 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 um, uh, with experts or. Uh, or with the, uh, the Department for the Economy, perhaps.
1: Well, you'd have to do something to them. Well, uh, get yeah, let's the yeah, right. we package them. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you
0: proposing? Bringing in lots of sort of jam, bottom, just saying there, you know, Italian bottles, anything else? <laughs> you know,
11: there's, uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: mind. right, okay. and <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much indeed. Ian. Thanks very much indeed. We know <laughs> what Pat's big plan is from now on. In. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, uh, thank you, Ian. Thank you. Um, also, want to sort of make uh, the uh, committee aware of uh, the department's response to the committee's queries regarding the UK government's recovery loan scheme. That's on page two hundred and fifty-one. Okay, and that was based on I think it was an article on the FT, wasn't it? Yep. So obviously, if it was in the FT, one would presume that it would be relatively well researched. Uh, sort of, you'll notice what the uh, department's response is. So basically they, to, uh, to paraphrase it, um, they think the article, they said the article is wrong. Um, members right. have any comments?
1: I hope they're right.
0: <laughs> any further response that members wish to make or is the committee content to note and share the correspondence with the committees of the economy and the executive office? Content to note and agree. Okay. I uh, also ask, as agreed, that the, uh, Peter is exploring the options for the provision of legal advice in respect to uh, the interaction between the UK Internal Markets Act 2020 and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, in the meantime, are members content to write to the Department asking to set out the process adopted and the measures in taking in order to ensure that legislation and policy are compliant both with section 46 of the UK Internal Markets Act 2020 and the Northern Ireland Protocol? And also, I think um, looking in that raised research paper, I think the questions Aidan raised, I thought, were quite mm. sort of germane, and it might be useful if the department had a view on those. We'll Secretary yeah. their view, I'm not sure. We'll see their view, I think there's some specific ones which we we'll do there. Others might sit with other uh, departments, but if they come back and say it's yeah. Department of the Economy or whatever else, we can then sort of ask the Department of Economy to look at that as well. And they, particularly, I think with the department, the executive, with the. Uh, uh, protocol Brexit subcommittee. It might be useful um with some of those, or unless we want to write uh, sort of short-circuit the system—to write to the Department of Economy or info the Department of Economy and info the TEO at the same time, well I think that would probably be easier. Okay. Content? Great. Thank you very much indeed. We move on to the next item of the agenda, uh, item number nine, written briefing the rates Small Business Hereditament Relief Amendment Regulations, Northern Ireland 2021 Small Business Rate Relief Scheme. Uh, the Department of Finance proposes to make a statutory rule under powers conferred by Article 31c of the Rates Northern Ireland Order 1977. Information on the proposed rule is, is between pages 257 to 261 of your packs. The scheme provides relief of between 50 to 20 per cent for businesses with rateable values less than 15,000 Information, including exemptions on the Small Business Rates Relief Scheme, is appended. The Department also makes reference to the treatment of the small-scale renewable sector, which is to remain as is pending the development of the new executive energy strategy. Members, do we have any comments? Paul, do you want to come in about the?
11: No, we'll just wait and see. It's a watching brief at this stage.
0: Okay, dokes Uh, Therefore, team, the statutory rule is subject to negative resolution procedure. Uh, I'll just make sure all the members are in on uh, Spotlight. All the members on Spotlight? Yes, we are. Starleaf. Starleaf. What's that? Spotlight Spotlight here. of (laughs) (laughs) Starleaf. It must have been Freudian slip I'm doing that. Uh, The members are content. It's the committee content that it has no objection to the related policy, and that it's also content for the department to make the rule. Are we Agreed. Agreed. Thank you very much indeed. Next, with oral briefing, the Official Statistics Amendment Order Northern Ireland 2021. Uh, ask the uh, uh, Assembly Broadcasting to bring on Tracy. Tracy Power. Hi Tracy.
6: Can you hear us? Well, she's doing a Jim, Jim Wells
0: or... on silent.
3: <laughs> I think we can. On, you're on mute.
13: <laughs> I can hear
0: you. Oh uh, we can hear you yeah. now, Tracy. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, team uh, the, ses- yeah. the session has been recorded by Hansard. The following papers are relevant to the agenda item: the clerk's briefing note on page 264, the SL1, the Official Statistics Amendment Order at page 265, the policy screening document at page 268, and the Code of Practice for Statistics at page 285. Dr. Parr, could you give us a quick presentation? Yes. Thank you.
13: I can. Um, I don't need genuinely take a couple of minutes of your time so I thank you for inviting me to brief you today so I'm Tracy power and I'm director of analysis in NISRA um, so I'm here to discuss the proposed statutory rule which will amend the 2012 official statistics order as previously made so the 2012 order was made an exercise of the powers conferred by section 6 of the statistics and registration service Act 2007 So this act defines official statistics as those statistics produced by government departments, but it also allows a government department to designate in an order other bodies as producers of official statistics. So the 2012 official statistics order listed 14 bodies as, as producers, and these included the Housing Executive, Sport NI, Livestock and Meat Commission, and the CCAA, amongst others. And all 14 bodies are part of the wider official statistics community, working in partnership with NISRA. So the proposed um, 2012 order, uh, the proposed 2021 order, will name a further three bodies the Education Authority, Invest NI, and the Labour Relations Agency. And the appropriate ministers have been informed of the decision to be included, and that decision has been made by the three named bodies, and the ministers are content. The Finance Minister is bringing forward this legislation as the Minister for Statistics, and it was at the um, Executive Meeting last week and passed through. So the benefits, just for your your own information, in case you haven't been involved in these kinds of uh, pieces of legislation before, is that being a producer of official statistics, the benefits include, firstly, a recognised status for the statistics produced. Mm -hmm. Some of these bodies are already, already publishing data on a regular basis, and being a designated producer will give them the appropriate recognition for the work they're already doing. Secondly, the official statistics status is recognised across government and beyond and so this will raise the profile of their statistics and their importance for policy use. Thirdly, official statistics are regulated by the statistics authority and this regulation drives a process of continual improvement in the quality of statistical output with the aim of meeting the ever-changing needs of users within government, research, academia and the wider public. And lastly, the extension of the official statistics community will further enhance the integrity, coherence, trustworthiness and professionalism of the public sector statistical system. So the impact of being designated as a producer of official statistics um, has been discussed in depth with the appropriate officials it does require a proportionate amount of investment by staff and the named bodies as they become familiar with the requirements of the go-to-practice for statistics, but this will be fully supported by NISRA through the provision of guidance, a program of training, and on a day-to-day basis by the senior statistician and the statistical team in the host departments, which in this case are the Department of Education Department for the Economy. So it's hoped that the legislation, if agreed here, will come into effect on the 1st of July this year. So that's really all i want to say by way of brief introduction and i'm happy to answer any questions
0: Team, do we have any questions i think we have uh we have had a, a surfeit of statistics and information and we thank you very much I, indeed for you your sorry Biles, Apologies oh, sorry, for again.
2: sorry sorry uh, for being um uh thank you and sorry i was um for the beginning is really helpful I'm supportive of this i think it's a good thing for um for nisra can you um just give a sense of um, the I mean, at the minute you are I'm, I'm aware of, sort of the statistics Authority's particular designations around official and national statistics and it's a sort of quality control thing um will you be subject to to Rules that you aren't subject to at the minute in terms of timing. I mean, some previous professional experience of how the UNS does inflation or you know inflation data. People, it's it, well, there's a, having previously been on pre-release lists where, where where people had restricted access and that's done away with now. Two questions: One, will you be subject to those rules? Will that mean that, for example, you will discontinue giving some officials advance sight of statistics that they get now
13: Okay so the code of practice for statistics applies to all government departments and crime bodies already by virtue of the 20, 2007 um act yeah. Uh, so that applies to Nisra and government departments. So this particular piece of legislation is bringing into the fold, if you like, three other organisations, as as I've named. Those organisations, as part of the discussions, do realise the implications upon them for the re- for um, they're opening themselves up to the UK regulator, and they will become part of the community which is subject to the code. So you're absolutely right. Those organisations, Invest NI, Labour Relations Agency and and the Education Authority, understand what the implications are for the production of statistics from their organisations. The code has three pillars, trustworthiness, value and quality. And the specific part that you you, um, refer to in terms of limiting... Released before production, before publication, relates to trustworthiness in that the f- figures, as they come out, are seen to be released without uh, any internal political, with a small p, interference. Um, so the organisations understand that, and they're happy that it gives them that stamp of trustworthiness.
2: Okay, thanks. Are there any other organisations who have been talked about as potential? Um, this this could potentially extend to.
13: So. There are a number of statistics which are produced, that we would consider our official statistics. So we regularly um, talk to a number of organisations who are aware of the potential of doing this um, that may or may not choose to come into this this type of um, an order. Um, But having said that, if they don't want to come into this order, there are ways that they can voluntarily apply the code Within um, their organisation to uphold as well as they can without the official regulation, um, the trustworthiness, quality, and value pillars, um, and we will help them with, with that as well, without them necessarily being named in legislation.
2: And thank you. i indulging. Thank you for indulging my geekiness, chair, on this. But um, on um, for cross-border bodies, some of which do produce statistics, Intertrade Ireland, Tourism Ireland, etc. Are they? following the code voluntarily, or would there be any means for them, to, would they have to sort of align with one or the other, um, in terms of, or, or, or do they kind of speak so, to... So
13: there... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So the Republic of Ireland does not have an equivalent uh, um, le- uh, code in legislation, although, of course, their statisticians obviously abide by uh, professional uh, codes of uh, trustworthiness and quality. Um, but. No, we don't have any cross-border bodies because it's a UK regulation authority, of course. Um, we haven't gone to speak to those bodies specifically, and it's, it's a good idea now that there's voluntary compliance, which has only come in in the last couple of years. Um, as you can understand right now, NISRA is fairly busy, yes, but yeah. it seems to be something that we should put on our to-do list.
0: OK, thank you. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, sort of, and I, I know... From the past, Intertrade has made voluntary reports through statistics. So I think they're they're already, in a to a degree, complying. But it's a, it's a voluntary area. But it would be useful if all sort of north south bodies were uh, applying the code, because I think that would be quite useful, particularly for statistical analysis and looking at what we're tra- we're trying to do. But again, thanks thanks very much indeed, Uh, Tracy. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much indeed for uh, coming, giving evidence, and giving your briefing today. Thank you very much indeed. Thank Thank you. you. Okay, Um, so uh, uh, members, that the rule is subject to affirmative resolution, and thus a plenary debate will follow in due course. Therefore, our members, if members are content, is the committee content that there is no objection to the related policy, and that it is also content for the department to make the rule? Say, are we agreed? Agreed. 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 Uh, next uh, item on the agenda is written briefing: principal uh, civil service pension scheme amendment scheme Northern Ireland 2021. Department proposes to introduce an amendment scheme for the principal civil service pension scheme. This includes the classic, classic plus premium and NUVOS schemes, which were closed to new entrants from 1 April 2015. The SPS was replaced by the ALPHA scheme at this time. The following papers are relevant to this agenda item. The Clerk's Briefing at page 326 and the Principal Civil Service Pension Scheme paper at page 327. Jim, would you like to...? Yeah,
6: um, this is obviously in line with what we discussed earlier. Yeah. It seems that the that the department is going ahead, <laughs> regardless um, of what we decide. But I assume that none of that can happen until we make a decision on either primary legislation or legislative consent motion. No uh, chair, this is unrelated. This is yes. a uh, technical amendment. The department
3: assures us it's not a statutory rule, and it's just something they were going to do anyway.
0: But, and we've just been asked to note it. But
6: it, but it, but it, it goes into detail about the legacy scheme. Uh, So it's assuming that we are going to go down a a certain route.
3: I think those schemes have already been closed. Um, So they're closed to new entrants. So some of us would have been in voice before, and we're all moved into Alpha. So I think this is about, if I understand it correctly, they're retrospectively um, making a technical amendment. So it's not linked to McLeod or revaluation or anything else. It is, they assure us. Um, a
6: simple technical amendment. So, so there's nothing in this that causes any problems with any decision we make on Macleod eventually. That is what the department assures us.
0: So, I, I, so my briefing note says refer to the removal of an erroneous reference to the annual accruing superannuation liability charge. The amendment scheme is to have retrospective effect from the 1st of April 2014.
6: Okay, I accept that.
0: Yep. Okay. Happy okay, members, if we're content. If members are content to note our members content to note the PCSPS amendment scheme, are we agreed? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Moving on to correspondence, correspondence index. Uh, members are asked to note the index page of the 13 received items of correspondence, page 335. Uh, Paul, could you cover the item uh, 12.2, please?
11: Yeah. Sure. Which is first up? Is that right? Yeah,
0: Yes, it is. Mm-hmm.
11: Okay, members, bear with me when we second. Uh, uh, so, twelve point two. Then uh, that's the piece on the former NICS employee grievance HR policies. Can I say that members are asked to note at page three three nine further responses from the former employee regarding the HR issues? The clerk has responded to the correspondence, reiterating the committee's position. So, uh, having heard that, can I ask members: Are they content to note? Is that agreed? Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Uh, okay, Deputy no Chair. Moving on to item twelve point three, Department of Finance financial support of students. Members are asked to note at page three four three a copy of a response to the committee for the economy regarding financial support to students. Members, are we content to note?
6: Yeah.
5: No.
0: Great. Minister of Finance, Public Procurement uh, Common Framework. Members are asked to consider at page 344 responses from the Minister regarding the Public Procurement Common Framework. The Minister states his commitment to use the PPCF consultation and dispute resolution to secure the greatest possible access to public procurement opportunities for local firms. The Minister also states he has written to Julia Lopez MP regarding PPN 1120 on uh, reserving below-threshold contracts which can allow localised restrictions to the exclusion of firms from other parts of the UK. The Minister has also provided a copy of the professionally agreed, uh, agreed PPCF. Do members wish to make any further comment on the Public Procurement Common Framework?
1: I hope they will take note of today's Court of Appeal judgment against the Department of Infrastructure Aye. about the lack of transparency on roads contracts. Uh, of it give them quite it. a roasting.
2: Yeah, can I just? It would be. Uh, I take note of it, Chair, of the um, of the correspondence rather than the the the, the court case. Jim just, Jim just mentioned, but the the it would be helpful to um, get a, to, a, a sort of clear commitment from the department that we are going to hear more because there are a number of outstanding questions. I think we had on that, and so I, I just be slightly concerned that. We we have a commitment to advise us, but but we want to be to nail that down because we have some a range of further questions. I think that we're and um, I also noticed. Uh, I don't know if you're in the bad books, but you you've you're uh, the greetings changed from Steve Steve to Stephen.
0: It does change. It regularly changes. Yeah. Some days I'm a doctor. No, so that's something that you've
2: done or we've done, but. <laughs>
3: And from the Department to advise?
0: Yeah, seek the Department to further advise. Are we content? Agreed. Okay. If you, Jim, have you got a link to that uh, Court of Appeal? I have got it. I um,
1: will send you something.
0: Yes, please. Thanks. Uh, item 12.5 EU Affairs Manager update on common framework. Members are asked to note at page 373 updated information on the progress of the common frameworks. Are members content to note? Mm-hmm. Agreed. <coughs> Department of Finance, Fire Safety and Building Control. Members are asked to note at page one, from the Department providing further clarification in respect of building fire safety. The Executive has agreed that the, head of, or the interim Head of Civil Service is to chair a cross-departmental group to consider the MHCLG Building Fire Safety Programme and determine departmental policy responsibilities and the content of a similar programme in Northern Ireland. The Hackett review recommendations are very wide-ranging, including the establishment of a joint competent authority, which would work with building control, the fire service and HSE, as well as new and explicit obligations for duty holders in respect of high-rise buildings, including for maintenance and construction gateway points, of which overall safety outcomes would be rigorously assessed with legal obligations to declare significant changes. Members, this is quite a significant safety issue. So, Are members content to write again and ask the Department to explain if a similar ambitious programme is under consideration in Northern Ireland and why the initial correspondence indicated that the programme was urgently required – that was at the bottom of page 393 – when evidence of the Committee suggested that the risk profile of buildings in Northern Ireland differed from the rest of the UK? Are we content and ask that? Go ahead.
11: Ball. just on a... a I read. I've read this correspondence and the correspondence yeah. we had last week, and I had to leave early last week, so forgive me for that. Apologies. But am I right in saying that the minister is proposing, the department is proposing, bringing forward a specific bill for Northern Ireland, building safety bill? It it doesn't say. Sorry, it interpret. doesn't say. It doesn't yeah. say it
0: specifically.
3: It, yeah. That, that's what's in the, 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 the England um, proposals. That's what they're looking for at the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. Yes. Um, the Hackett Review says all sorts of things, yes. which would be... Some of which are clearly reserved and some of which are devolved. And I think that's what they're looking at. They're trying to work out what's devolved, what's reserved, what sits in what department. But exactly what they have in mind is not clear. And yet the initial correspondence said it was, urgent. was terribly urgent. So.
0: yeah. And I don't know if it was terribly urgent based on the fact that with the Hackett review there, they realized that there was a whole series of issues that they needed to deal with. Yes. And then when they looked in looking at the issues, and as we have seen in front of this committee, the, the breadth and spread of the, or breadth and uh, spread of these rules and regulations are really significant. Okay.
11: Yeah, and, and I well, One thing that struck me was the, the HSENA. Uh, uh, all about safety about the person, not the buildings. And So you know, when you look through this, if, if you're going to... Now, it did talk about creating a new governing body that would then work alongside all of these organisations. And again, it's just seeing how that all fits into place and then what roles and remits are placed or responsibilities and burdens are placed on these organisations and this new organisation. Just, I suspect to move forward it will probably take a belt. yeah. Uh, but how how that ever what that will look like at this stage, if they can give us any sort of indication, and I I, I suspect as the clerk says they're grappling with it at the present time, and we're maybe and maybe being too premature, uh, but just making sure that 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 everything is is sitting in its right place, and and that we can get a clear steer as soon as possible, because yeah, you know this is relatively important. Um. I'm- I think I
0: would be... It's one of the things that sort of in my chair of this committee and some of the things that seen have come from the committee that sort of uh, concerns me a lot is about sort of the differentiation between Northern Ireland Fire Safety Regulations and those in the rest of our nation mm-hmm. and indeed the rest of these islands. And I think I would be minded to ask the department, uh, bearing in mind they did originally say it was an urgent requirement, yeah. is there intent... To bring forward specific Northern Ireland legislation in view of the concerns raised within the Hackett review, and if that is the case, can they give us an indicative sort of timeline and scope of it? Because it was important enough for the, head of the interim head of the civil service being told to look at these issues. Yeah, I think it's important enough for the, the department to be considering. You know, what is the what is the direction of travel? It's li- likely to do. If you're content, if we are content with that, agreed. Right. Uh, if we move on to the next item of correspondence, uh, corrected laying of the land and property service accounts for uh, 2019-20. Members asked to note at page 396 a copy of the 2019-20 land and property services trust statement. There is an amendment to one figure in the CNG's table. Members, are we content to note? Note. Right. Uh Department of Finance, Red Diesel. Jim? Uh, Members are asked to note the Department's response at page 437 to committee's query with the use of red diesel for pleasure boats in Northern Ireland. Oh, yes. Not that I've got one. The Department has contacted Treasury counterparts on this issue and will follow the response when received. Are we happy to note?
6: I thought you were accusing me of re- using red <laughs> diesel there. <laughs> um, you, you I think that's an issue several members have been lobbied about and yeah. he raised at the committee, so it will be interesting to see what, what comes there out. Comes, okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, strategic Investment Board, Social Value in Public Procurement Contracts. Members are asked to consider, at page 339, a briefing paper regarding the use of social clauses in public procurement contracts and the promotion of buy social approach. Are members content to receive an oral briefing by the Streg- Strategic Investment Board on this subject on the 9th of June? Are we agreed? Great. Uh, item uh, 1210, AJ Watson, Limited Businesses with Non-Ratable Offices. Members are asked to note at page 443, correspondence regarding lack of financial support for individual businesses with non-rateable offices. Uh, members are we content to forward this on to the Department for comment? Great. Um, Chair of the Northern Ireland Committee, UK Finance Bank Closures. Members are asked to note at page 445, a letter from the Chair of the Northern Ireland uh, Committee of UK Finance to the Committee for the Economy regarding bank, bank branch closures. The committee has written to the committee for the economy seeking a joint and formal session from the banking sector Pat do you want to say something well nothing more than it's happened you know we know that it's happened we know the costs okay. that it has on it but uh, they're not going to change their name okay so are you content to note no, no. okay great uh, item 1212 committee for infrastructure port of Vaux reservoir any apologies if I uh, pronounced that wrong yes, members sir. that's right that's yeah. yes, it right Members are asked to note on page 447 a copy of correspondence to the Department of Finance regarding the sale of Portavoe of Reservoir by NI Water. Anybody wish to make any comment? This yep.
6: isn't my constituency; it's North Down. But it is extraordinary that a property that was valued at a million pounds sold for sixty-seven thousand. at Port Portavoe Reservoir. It's a large reservoir and wooded estate, but just outside Dunaddie between Dunaddie and uh, Odo Mullaid. Yes. Um, and I've been to it a couple of times and it was surplus to Northern Ireland water's needs and like a lot of these small reservoirs it was sold Uh and then uh, this transport was sold for £67,000 which is an extraordinary (laughs) given the size of the area and uh, I'm only raising this because I know some locals have raised it with me though it's not say south down it is taxpayers' money, because obviously, at some stage, under the old Northern Island water Board, this was purchased and, and created, and then flogged off for, for, for a pittance. Uh, and there's, there's a bit of local concern about that, because they feel that the taxpayer could have gained far more um, for, for that sizable land holding. So I mean, I'm, tra- I'm tra- tramping an, an area here that's not really my business of truth being known, but I did raise a few eyebrows when I read about it.
1: Was it not blighted in some way by yes. the uh, pressures, uh, the work that's going to have to be done under the reservoirs? One
0: uh, just for clarification, and sort of an inspection of a reservoir is about thirty grand, isn't it? I think from sort of the sort of course. But that still doesn't. That takes it to ninety-seven thousand, rather than.
6: But in the open market it definitely would have uh, you know the bid would have been much higher
1: why did it not go to the open market well,
6: this is what the locals let's be honest the locals are concerned because they have been using the walkways around it yes. as a sort of a local recreational area and fishing and their concern is now that's gone into private hands sold from by northern Ireland water that will be closed um, and that has created the outcry well at that sort of money the local council could have bought it for for pittance yes and perhaps have used it for some form of recreational activity. Uh, we have a similar situation corporate lock in Corbett Lock and South Down. Exactly the same situation arose. The council bought it for a knockdown price, and it is now a very much used um, recreational facility. And They do not understand why the same did not happen at Port um, you know, It is really none of my business, but I just felt that it was a, an extraordinarily cheap price for
8: that land.
1: It is our business was the finance committee, yeah.
8: is it? Um, was it sure. okay. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Um, Was it a
0: compulsory apologies. I'm just, I'm just reading that of the
8: water. Uh, board They compulsory purchased that land.: oh, And the landowners good. that lived around it they have to go back to that original price. That this was goes back.: on. Yeah, it goes back uh, to 100, 100 plus years. I mean, this has been there. Well the six00 mm. those those that had ownership of so it. So I believed, anyway.
6: the market... Well, not, not
8: ownership, <coughs> but their errors, and those that were in their estate but as I it passed on. It that. wasn't to the original per- people that were bought. I'm not defending am Just as I read it, that was the re- they were compelled to go back to the errors of the original uh, sellers of the land in order to offer it back to them. Uh, I agree with you. It, it seems to be an awful waste, because there seems to be an awful lot of people that Went there for
0: walks and used it, and I'm in agreement with you. Just, uh, just, uh, and sort of, uh, sort of, um, um, apologies. But I'm just reading through this again. Um, decision, the sort of, the Northern Ireland Water was advised that the decision to agree to the selling price was agreed between Land and Property Services and the agent working on behalf of the purchaser, this was taken by Northern Ireland Water's capital investment panel. Should we be asking the question of uh, Land and Property Services and Northern Iron Water's capital investment panel on what was, the, what was the valuation and why did they come up with a figure? Chair, uh, if
2: I may, Chair, I'm, I'm, I, I agree this is a subject of interest and Jim raises very legitimate questions and concerns and I know it has been forwarded to us. But I would genuinely intrigued as to whether this one for our committee. Is, are the infrastructure committee looking at it? And if they are not? Then would it more properly sit with the Public Accounts Committee? And just to demonstrate that I'm not trying to shirk work, I'm on the Public Accounts Committee. So if it comes before there, I have to scrutinise it anyway. I'm just wondering whether it's for finance. But you know, there's just this concern that we, first of all, we, you know overlap in the PAC work, and obviously we could concern ourselves with lots of. Um, and it's just
0: specifically because the correspondence come to this. I mean, the reason we're dealing why with this... Did the the cor- cor- we, if, if I may, to the Chair, why did the correspondence come to yeah. us? It's
3: copied to us from the Committee for Infrastructure. So they've written to the Department of Finance seeking clarity. They're, so look,
0: oh, okay. they're looking because it's LPS.
3: So we could seek a, a copy and if there's yeah. further...
0: I think we should. I think I think I think, seek a copy of, the yeah. resp- of their response? Yeah. 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 So they're yeah, going to get a response it, anyway? It, it, it does seem, bearing in mind the sort of... Uh, bearing in mind North Down... 76.23 acres of, um, no matter what it is, if you sort of drained it, it would be worth a considerable amount of more money than that.
6: Yeah. It's actually group support on reflection, as what you had said. Is, um, I don't think it was a case, uh, Pat, of selling it back to the original landowner. It was a deal yeah. done by a private individual and his agent with Northern Ireland Water, and then it came out It was sold at a ridiculously low price, I just wonder, was the local council consulted with the potential of paying that uh, slightly more and having it as a a recreational facility for the local community? I understand now that gates and wiring has gone up and there is concern that local access, which has been granted on a sort of an ad hoc basis, will now be denied.
0: Um, I think I think it is worthy of asking. We can pretend it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Next item on the agenda: Minister of Finance decarbonising road transport in Northern Ireland. Members are asked to note at page 461 a copy of the response from the Minister of Finance to the Committee for Infrastructure, read decarbonising road transport in Northern Ireland. Are we content to note? No. Grades. Ah, sorry, I missed one. Sorry. Twelve, thirteen. Committee for the Executive Office Shared Prosperity Fund. Members are asked to note at page 455 a copy of correspondence from the Executive Office, read the Shared Prosperity Fund. Are we content to note? Uh, 12.15. Composite report. Well, Members are asked to consider the composite report page 462. The, is the committee content that the composite request is an accurate and complete record of the committee's information requests? Are we agreed? In addition? Thank Thank you. You. Moving to the forward work programme. The draft forward work programme is at page 471. Uh, do members have any comments? Uh, the committee staff have been in contact with the U.S. Consul General regarding a brief from the Congressional Budget Office, and contacts are still being pursued with the OBR. Uh, the department has asked, to, uh, are we uh, just to keep you informed of that? And the department has also asked to delay the briefings on the main estimates until the 2nd of June. If members are content with this. The associated raise briefing will also move to the 26th of May, 2021. content. Yeah. Uh, members content with the forward work programme with this amendment.
3: Chair, will we take um, reform of property management next week? So that'll make it a, l- a little bit heavier. But yeah, yeah, we'll yep, cool. But at least
0: we'll have the paper. Well we oh, have the paper in front of us. should have the paper in yeah. <coughs> And okay. Are there is there any other business? Thank you very much indeed. Then date and time of the next meeting next uh, in here at uh, fourteen hundred. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.
3: Thanks, members. Thank Enjoy you the meeting. Two, two, three, up.
8: Mm-hmm.